Good afternoon, everyone. Hope you're good. I'm Jack Chew. This is Chewing It Over, and we come to you live at 12.30 till 1 o'clock on weekdays, and we talk about whatever is topical, usually in the world of MSK, healthcare, education. Those are the things that I'm most passionate about, but occasionally we bring you some stuff about current affairs, which is what happened yesterday. Me and Sandy Hilton talked about the US election, and we've got another show next week uh, talking about that from the right of politics. And so I'm um, really looking forward to, to getting into that again. But today, uh, we were meant to have Brad Neal joining me to talk about threshold concepts. What are the foundational things that you need to have competence in in MSK practice? Um, and we're going to discuss that. But unfortunately, yeah, his, his daughter's school's had a bit of a COVID outbreak, and so he's homeschooling, and she's got a class on at, uh, at 12.30 that they need to share a laptop for. So he's unfortunately going to have to uh, rain check on this, and so you stuck with me instead. Um, but um, I can assure you we will make that show happen. As per usual, I'm always paranoid that I'm not coming through loud and clear and that we've had some technical issues with Signal at the start of a few shows. So please do let me know if you're joining us live. I can see a few of you are there watching. Um, but yeah, thanks to those that tune in after the fact as well. We've had people in their commutes. I notice a spike in downloads that occur for people's commute, either back from work or the following morning. Similarly, uh, across social media, it's good for us to be able to get this out on all of our social media channels on video, but then also it's available wherever you listen to podcasts. And uh, yeah, we've had some great guests on already, but we've also got some plenty, plenty of good stuff coming up. Today, what I wanted to talk to you about is sort of, as I've done before when I've done these these things solo, is that there's three topics that I feel are hot at the moment, especially that I've noticed on social media even this morning, uh, that uh, I feel like I want to give my take on. So uh, please do um, please do let me know your thoughts as we go along on this. Thank you so much to those that are letting me know that you can hear me loud and clear. Thanks, Claire and Becky. Now, Becky, I don't know if you've heard about this, and so forgive me if this is the first you're hearing about it, but I did accidentally call you Betty the other day when discussing the Massage Matters podcast. And so uh, thank you, Betty, come Becky, uh, the, for giving me that feedback. Uh, I probably shouldn't have mentioned that now that you've done me a favor, but unfortunately, yes, I did call you Betty yesterday. Now, the three topics I want to talk to you about today and that I'm keen to hear your thoughts on uh, straight out the gates is that there was something that was discussed uh, this morning about uh, some myths and misconceptions that can get then um, perpetuated in and around race and pain and the notion that particularly the one that's most pervasive is the that south asian and, and often it's said south asian women have a high susceptibility to pain and that, that the people then pass that out of certain bits of data and of course you've then got people that are ignorantly not recognizing what you know they're, they're making assumptions based on some data and then you've got some people that are just you know going to be outright racist that are then inferring that there's some sort of inferiority that can occur uh, that would make that happen and so when those myths get perpetuated they can be really damaging and, and upsetting in many ways so i'm going to talk a little bit about that uh, but definitely not in as much detail as we will in future shows because we're going to have a guest on to talk about that who's an expert in those sorts of matters but i'll just give my sort of take on that and why we need to make sure that we we nip that in the bud and how best i think to do that then there's going to be um, there's going to be a little chat about why the ACP, uh, APP, FCP acronym uh, jargon about advanced practice constantly keeps doing laps on social media and why it's super important and people get really passionate about it. Haduzo on the show talking a little bit about that and he's sort of fired things up again the other day. We have an event, an MSKR event uh, for our birthday uh, tomorrow. 
So tomorrow evening, we're going to be closing that tonight. Uh, tickets are, are nearly done and sold out for that. So if you haven't already, then check out MSKR's event on, on FCP and APP. Got an incredible panel lined up to discuss that, as well as a few ideas as to how MSKR feels it can contribute to that conversation. But I want to talk a little bit in a second about how, why does that keep coming back around and why is it particularly important? And then a little further to physios as prescribers and medication. Uh, we had Pip White on the show earlier this week and I think it's useful for us to sort of mention that the consultation that's occurring uh, is not fraught without challenge, with challenges and, and also these people that are going to uh, wanting to, to offer a uh, counter narrative to the one in which me and Pip shared the other day. And so I want to give that the time of day and talk a little bit about that as well. But first, I'm going to close the comments off in a second, not shut you down. You can comment, of course, but I'm just going to keep it out of my vision for a second. But I want your take on these matters. Do you hear about certain myths and misconceptions or are you even susceptible or feel like you've understood the data to be a certain way with regards to the link between race and pain, ethnicity and pain, and what that means and what you feel that might mean and what people have maybe told you it is or if you've heard those things being, being mentioned. Similarly, if you've got any sort of take on the advanced practice debacle and whether you're you know i'm interested i suppose if whether you're frustrated about that constantly coming right around you whether you think it's an important topic or whether you think it's something that people are just wanting to flog a dead horse on and you want people to move on uh, then please let me know and similarly the final thing is do you have any opinions on whether physios should be prescribers and if so what they are to prescribe so yeah i'm not going to close the comments sorry i'm just going to hide them from you for a few minutes but please do share your thoughts on today's topics especially if you're only joining us for a few minutes throw it out there and then leave it be uh, but I, i'm interested in your thoughts especially as i'm going to riff on those topics but yes seems that betty has heard and, and it's going to stick so uh, sorry about that betty mid-ear right let me close these off for a second and please but please do you know, get as your comments in about those topics first and foremost then the the csps BAME, I think it's the BAME network actually shared it. And then Jita uh, sort of tagged me in just to say, you know, like, can, can we get your take on this matter? How do we stop these myths spreading? It was this notion that a student or a, a therapist had been told by a senior about the fact that, you know, as in quite a matter of fact way, you know, South, South Asians are more susceptible to pain or, or, or report more pain or more, more sensitive to pain. I can't remember exactly what it was. And it's something that, you know, I've heard in, in various different contexts before. And there's a reason for that being being perpetuated, and and so they were saying, how do we how do we rid, you know, stop these sorts of uh, of myths getting spread? And it's a really interesting point. Now, one of the things that's happened is you've got group level characteristics, which is fraught with a challenge anyway. So you've got this potential category error about trying to group people by race and ethnicity when fundamentally it's something that is known to be biologically of very little relevance at all, especially on general characteristics. And so you then in this situation whereby based on say ticking a box on the survey when people are doing research collection they're then doing a set of tests and then making sometimes an inference so for example then you've got uh, you're ticking certain boxes for by ethnicity etc and then you're then having some laboratory measures in which you're then trying to work out pain thresholds or or various different pain reporting outcomes even so it's kind of vas scores or or um other outcome measures and then in various different studies you might find at different levels, you've got group characteristics that can, can then correlate to, say, higher VAS scores or you know, pass or fail on certain tests or whatever it might be. You know, I don't need to be specific in this moment because it's more that that is why you know, that can occur in any given scientific experiment. Right. You've got you've 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 created some categories. You've then done some sort of test or asked some questions and then you're then passing that data. Now, let's say 
for some reason, in some examples, you've got a group characteristic or trait that you've kind of found a way to categorize often. You've then done a test, be that in the laboratory, laboratory setting, meaning that you've not necessarily gone about any subjective measures of, of, of sort of tidying that up. And then you find that you might be able to correlate something with something, right? In this instance, there's been examples that get given whereby, say, South Asian uh, heritage or background might be something that's sort of ticked on a form or identified in, in some way by the participant. And then despite various different blinding and within trials, they then might say report higher VAS or what have you in there. This is where it gets interesting because there's a category error sometimes with regards to where you, where you put those barriers up, right? where you put, put the containment over the category. Then you've got certain you know, variety of different things that you might have tested or measured, which, which can be of, of, of differing uh, reliability and also different levels of cultural sensitivity or uh, you know, a good example in this instance is you're asking a VAS, there are certain cultural backgrounds or certain linguistic challenges with regards to how relevant it is to rate a pain score out of with, with numbers, right? I know it's fraught with challenges with pretty much every patient that you're trying to give them. You know, sometimes you, they, they really struggle to want to put a number to it. And then in, in other cultural circumstances, it's absolutely foreign for want of a better term, a concept. And it's, and it's not, it's fraught with those challenges. Even when you mark it on a line, you know, vazing a score of pain is, is fraught with challenges anyway. So there's an unreliability there, especially it's not culturally sensitive. And then you get this data, right? And so let's say that it does show something like that. This is where a really clumsy inference comes in that then becomes something that perpetuates a racist trope. It then is sort of an inference that the relevant variable that might be affecting a difference between group level characteristics, whatever they are, in say pain susceptibility or sensitivity or even just reporting, is then an inference then that if you're, you're reporting higher pain scores, it's like there's some sort of biological relevance to that as if it's sort of, and then of course the extension to it is that there's a biological inferiority between racial categories, ethnicities, et cetera, that then means that, well, that's what you'd expect. And it's almost like that racist trope of sort of supremacy of different uh, characteristics and traits uh, that can be then suggested from that data. When, of course, even when that data, let's imagine that, you know, give it the benefit of the doubt, which it doesn't deserve, but imagine that data is credible in every which way and has been appropriately gathered using reliable metrics, then you get these population level group data differences. But there's a whole host of different factors that are going to be affecting that with regards to the biopsychosocial variables that are influencing it. And we know that the biological identif identifiers that, that differentiate categories of ethnicity and race are incredibly irrelevant relative to the sociological and, and, and other factors that can affect it, as well as then the crude measures of what we're meaning by pain measure. You know, we know pain to be a much more complex phenomena than we used to, and therefore you know, let's, let's not pretend that there isn't on every level of analysis that's fraught with challenges. So to make a conclusion, especially one that's going to be so contentious and rightly so, that's where it becomes a problem. Now, I said I won't go into far, you know, much more detail on that because I'm, I'm certainly not a specialist in this area, but that's how I understand it being. I can see the myths getting perpetuated by some people that are it's a misreading of data. And then I also some, see some people that... Um, well, I mean, I don't know, and they're certainly not friends of mine, but it's kind of you can see why that data would be leveraged as, a, as an inference of inferiority or superiority of different characteristics, which is where it gets really ugly, of course. But as I say, we're going to definitely go into this in more detail with specialists that can talk about this and what that data does and doesn't mean and what we can understand of it. But the reason these things can get perpetuated and what you need to do, and the reason I'm wanting to unpack this now, because I only noticed it this morning, but I'm telling you my take on it now, is because when you notice these things, 
there's two things that can get made. One is that you just ignore it and sort of cringe and think, oh, it's just a bit of a racist idiot that's that's making that mistake. That's a, that's one mistake, I think. Sort of silence in that, in that regard is really clumsy. At least be asking questions as to try and see if there's any sort of nuance that can be lifted from it or whether someone is genuinely misunderstanding. And then the second thing is that you can you can sometimes then be, and I understand this sentiment, but wanted to just dismiss that out of hand as if the numbers don't exist, right? They, they are just hateful facts and hateful numbers, and therefore they just need to be dismissed out of hand. When, as I described before, if you give the benefit of the doubt to some of that, then it could well be that there are group level characteristics that you can correlate together. That doesn't necessarily infer causation, and it certainly doesn't then mean that there's a narrow thing that you can conclude from that that would make any relevant cause uh, re relevant suggestion of, of racial biases in that data so that's kind of what i'm meaning is you don't want to make either of those mistakes even though i can understand why people want to just sort of poo poo it and, and it means that if you're going to talk about it you want to talk about it sensibly and that's why you know forgive me if i've made some mistakes here giving my sort of take on it but we're definitely going to get some experts on to pass that out because it's important that we can accurately and and, and take a scalpel as well as a sledgehammer to those sorts of myths and, and make sure we can get them out of, of not just society, but also the care professions, right? It's not a caring thing to do to be so clumsy about sensitive things like that, especially when it's absolute nonsense, especially if you're going to use something like that to factor into your clinical reasoning, you're going to go down some really dark rabbit warrens there, I think. So that's my, my take on that. I don't know if anyone's um, weighed in on it at all. And whether or not they feel that that is something relevant, forgive me if I have heard it made any mistakes in that direction, but also I really welcome that discussion and, and certainly on future shows. But that's a frustration that I've noticed and, and it's certainly one that I was pleased to be tagged in. I think it's something that's important for us to, to talk about because, yeah, if someone dismisses it out of hand and then infers that the data doesn't exist, it's kind of equivalent to putting your fingers in your ears. But then similarly, if you're think, thinking that that's telling you something that it isn't, then you can go down some really really dark uh, nooks and crannies, I would say. So yeah, thank you so much for Vegeta for tagging me in that and uh, some really interesting discussions that were occurring and we'll, we'll definitely be doing more podcasts about that because it's interesting, especially when you think about what COVID's brought and the uh, ethic and racial disparities, say, in the uh, in the in, in COVID, especially deaths and, and, and major illnesses and stuff and the socioeconomic things that that can sometimes tell us and, and all sorts of interesting uh, discussions that can had about shielding etc that occurred so you know we'll, we'll talk about that again second thing is that i said i wanted to talk about today to chew over was that every few days and, and I'm, I'm maybe i'm one of the people that stirs this up but you know a hot topic that continues to do laps is the advanced practice come first contact style discussion about what msk therapists and uh, particularly you know this is a bit of a physiocentric conversation sometimes um about how people aspiring into quite diagnostic triage related roles there's a fantastic piece of work that's just been done uh, basically given a roadmap to how to accredit and credential advanced practice and what for how first contact practice fits into that etc which is uh, why i think it, these things are, are sort of on the tip of everyone's tongue but at the heart of what happens on social media is and i'm certainly one of these that, that are massive advocates for us to not get blinkered into thinking that the advanced skills that are often almost technician-based, like imaging requisition, which of course is a skill, and imaging interpretation, even higher-level skill, uh, prescriptions, and uh, which I'll come to, of course, later in a different context, but injections, there's a skill to it. 
and you need to especially need to be done appropriately and safely and i'm someone that advocates for the fact that the msk therapists and namely physiotherapists can can do that and and should should aspire to have those skills if it's appropriate for the service or for your needs or for your practice or what have you however it shouldn't be at the expense of some core rehab skill. And I don't necessarily just mean in individuals now, but your MSK service, be that private or NHS, is only as strong as your rehab services. Your re your, and I said on Twitter last night, that is where the sausage is made, right? It can be warts and all, it can be ugly, it can need plan B, A, B, C, but it's something that realistically, the scaling someone's function, I'm always doing this, and I'm always using my hands, right? Scaling someone's function from where they are to where they want to get to and helping them build and climb and fall down that ladder that goes between those two points is the juice, right? That is exactly what quality MSK care is. And so if that isn't being done by the best and brightest, if people are aspiring away from that for various reasons, financial gain, et cetera, and I don't mean in a narrow self-interested way, I just mean the fact that they hit a barrier where they sort of in a, a band six role, say in the NHS, in which that's the where the rehab is done. And the only way for them to aspire to appropriate remuneration in pay, as well as other uh, opportunities for leadership, as well as other varying their roles, so they're not just in the grind of back-to-back -back patients all the time, especially on shorter and shorter timeframes, then that is where they will need to go and sometimes be tempted into, say, a quite isolated FCP role in a GP practice, or they're going to advanced practice and, and doing an injection qualification, or or want to aspire to, to wear a shirt rather than a polo shirt. It's the sort of classic physio trope there. Um, and as someone, you know, I, I'm someone that worked as an extended scope practitioner, as an advanced practice physio, but I traveled 90 minutes each way um, on, on a part-time basis um, alongside my other work that I was doing here and elsewhere to a service in Staffordshire because it was integrated, because I was able to engage in rehab and that even if I was to hand that to another therapist, I was in, I was involved in, and held accountable to my referrals. I was also able to engage with that in, in, in shared assessments. I was also part, privy to the educational processes that were occurring in, in that team in various denominations from support worker five, six, seven. And so integrated services is where the way forward and, and i see those separations being a big part of the problem but the reason to speak to the title of what i was saying i was going to talk about today is that the reason why it keeps coming back around is because it's 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 hot at the moment because we're talking a lot about advanced practice and rightly so because there's been some great work about if we're going to do it let's do it well let's actually appropriately accredit it and make it worthwhile understand how that should be remunerated so that there can't be a race to the bottom great and then there's the fact that people then oh, as soon as that chatter is occurring, then they're concerned about trying to make sure we, we don't end up with this brain drain away from where the, the core product is, the, pro, the core, where the evidence is pointing, which is this scaled functional rehab, which obviously I'm really passionate about. Um, and so that's why it keeps coming around. And people like Uzo are just fantastic at throwing those grenades intermittently. And if you're interested in that, and you're also interested in the solutions to it that are multifaceted, then join us tomorrow because MSKR is exactly what we love to do. And we're talking about and thinking in public about it tomorrow in a fantastic panel that Matt Wyatt is leading as our Associate Director for Clinical Excellence. So please do join us tomorrow night and get involved in that. And I'm going to be listening and reflecting and I'm not preparing my final remarks because I'm going to just try and listen as closely as I can and then think about how we as an organization can, can help to move the needle in the right direction and support our members and other wider community within MSKR to try and help to, to uh, create the right noises and, and to move policy in the right direction, which is what as a think tank we're responsible for. So uh, that's why I think it keeps coming back around. I'm interested in your thoughts as to whether or not you think this is something that, is it annoying that um, 
I suppose, is it annoying that it keeps coming back around or do you think it does so because it's important? You know, I'm interested in your sort of thoughts on that for sure. Um, I've got some, I've got a comment here. I don't know. It's, sorry, I lose track of time because I hide the comments from my view because I'm so easily distracted, but and I'm going to struggle with your name as well. It's a lovely Welsh name. Re, would that be Re, Re short for Rhiannon perhaps? Llewellyn, I love that lovely name. She said, yes, that's me. Um, and a bit more impact here. Uh, I've only gone for FCP, etc., because there was no career progression in MSK. <laughs> it just breaks my heart. You've no idea. No idea, Re. Honestly, if, if you're up for it, uh, and you're willing to share that story, you know, it doesn't need to be what's and all, and we cannot name names, etc. But if you're willing to share that story, then please, you're exactly who I want to have on the show and sort of talk through that because I'm, I've got so much sympathy for the fact that people have been drawn in that direction and have had to turn their back on something that they're actually quite passionate about because otherwise they've hit a ceiling and we lose some great clinicians that way. Similarly, that you know, just be, be love it if uh, if you're willing to share that, be that be that in, on a show or uh, even if you just send me some messages and I can I can recount that story anonymized, of course, if you, if you'd rather. Um, Katie has said, and this is definitely I need further knowledge on this, so a podcast to be good. I wonder if that's maybe first topic, Katie. You'll have to let me know if that was about the sort of race and pain thing um that i'd uh, i'd love to love to uh obviously we're going to unpack far more in, in another show with it with actual experts as well laura stewart has said i was aware that the race and pain misconceptions were a thing but again i'd assumed it was a more historical issue not a current one it's sad to hear a bit like oh sorry it shifted there because katie got back in touch a bit like that idea that kids don't feel as much pain yeah you get this it's funny isn't it like what what we need to you need a mature analysis of understanding what pain is to realize just how fraught some of those myths and misconceptions can be. Because as soon as you know that, the kids thing's a great example whereby as soon as you can recognize that um, you know, you've got to, you're asking it, asking kids about pain, to get them to rate it, get them to measure it, et cetera, um, getting them to understand it. You know, it's something that as soon as we recognize how complex pain is, we realize just how fraught some of those measures are. And you imagine that then the inferences that people make when they're sort of doing correlation analysis in groups and, and, the, and the, the dark side of that when it comes to things like race, then you can understand just how those mistakes get made somewhat innocently. But then there's also some malicious stuff there for those that perpetuate those or think that they're an especially relevant uh, data point. You know, that's the thing that or should be deeply influential to your reasoning when you're treating any individual. Right. So it's just, you know, that's where it gets really, really murky and, and something we need to uh, shine a light on in order to to rid it, because the accurate analysis of it is something that, that is that it shouldn't be nearly as relevant as, as a lot of some people uh, suggest it is. And unfortunately, yes, it is. Uh, it is still still out there, clearly, and uh, an experience that someone has had whereby it's been brought to them and they've needed to bring that up with the CSP's BAME network. And uh, and so you know, it's important sometimes that these anecdotes come forward because we can see that it's not relegated to history, unfortunately. Um, Katie's then clarified. She said that core skills are vital, always need discussion. Patients suffer if rehab is not addressed. Thank you, Katie. Yeah, I, I don't think we could talk talk too much ever about this topic right i just think it's super important and so i'm fascinated sometimes that people i imagine there's going to be some people out there maybe not on this show that are just feeling frustrated that it comes back around i think that sometimes it can be a bit repetitive but i understand why and we need to be more persistent with it i think we can be politically savvy in thinking that we need to re repeat certain things but i genuinely really want to understand what is going on when people um are are advocating for advanced practice roles that aren't well integrated and that we need to be clear that you can do something in theory and promote something in theory, but in practice, it's only as good 
as the integration and the actual rehab service that surrounds it. And that's one of the things that really concerns me is that you you kind of, uh, you know, you don't get that balance right. And if we miss that opportunity, then we're really going to, uh, well, I mean, be curtains, absolute curtains for the for the profession, especially in the NHS, of which I'm incredibly passionate about. He says sat in his private practice, of course, but in a long history working within the NHS and somewhat reluctantly then got squeezed out of it in many ways, just by many plates I was spinning and family, et cetera, for travel. But it's kind of that. You imagine that the, the MSK services in the NHS are slower to come back online to face to for face to face back online. So back face to face up to speed after COVID, especially after this second wave. And then you're in this situation where people either aspire into those sorts of triage and advanced practice roles of which some services and some um, trusts are finding to be of the higher value. They're bigger cash cow, say. Then they're going to leave for private practice if your private practices are going to be uh, seeing patients face to face and seeing the patients that have otherwise had to pay for taxation funded healthcare and then uh, have to seek help for MSK uh, elsewhere um, is, is really concerning, really concerning to me um, because we need a really robust, decent public sector and people deserve that and people deserve quality functional rehab. And so it's a massive concern and, and we need to get it, we need to get on top of it ASAP really really important um got a couple more uh couple more comments here Jeanette Lewis thank you so much Jeanette for saying that she loves the rehab sausage analogy yeah exactly rehab is where the sausage is made when it comes to physio yeah it's a bit of a sometimes we don't want to look at it <laughs> that's the thing with the sausage is made analogy but uh, exercise should be prescribed yeah absolutely yeah it shouldn't be it shouldn't be a given it should be at the heart of what we do and yeah absolutely i'm saying uh, does it always go round and round or do we keep going on about it or do the ponderings keep uh, doing lapses because it comes back around because it's a problem that hasn't been sorted absolutely you think about honestly i'm gonna try and if we can get round to it get some clips of some old physio matters podcast episodes from years ago whereby we're sort of floating some of these early concerns uh <laughs> that are then still at the heart of my core questions and it's sort of painful and i think a failing of of, of me and team as much as anything i don't i think we were we've had um, many different avenues we've been fighting and potentially we've been responsible for not being strong enough activists in that space that, that now it's still unfortunately perpetuating uh daniel oh danielle sorry danielle chilan uh, formerly Brailsford, for those that know. Uh, she is saying that I see a fear of getting it wrong or a bit of in denial overriding processes of challenging pers personal, unconscious and unconscious bias. I imagine that that is relevant to the first part of the conversation about race and pain. And I think that that is the case is that people... A fear of getting it wrong means that people will stay silent uh, in, in face of, of, of myths or they will also sometimes be... A fear of getting it wrong means that they are then make the mistake of being completely dismissive of the numbers as if to suggest that you have to create an inference that the numbers are completely false in order for that to, to you know, it's kind of, and by dismissing that, then you, you sort of sweeping certain things under the carpet and they're likely to bounce back. I'm mixing my metaphors now, but I, I really agree with Danielle there. Absolutely. Is that sometimes people's fear of getting it wrong means that they make one or both of those mistakes. They, they end up uh, being silent or indulging it, or they're sometimes clumsy in the way that they dismiss it and, and don't actually squash it properly and accurately as we need to. So I am, uh, Oh, let's have a look. What's Joe? <laughs> Joe said good bit of physio guilt there. Yes, Joe, absolutely. Yeah, I've, I've got some guilt in that direction because um, that's the thing. I'm being I'm nervous. If I was to show clips of, of us making the same noises years ago, um, you know, there's no benefit to any sort of I told you so if that if that ship does go.
go down. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, mean, I, I, I like a second comment. She says, I've been trying pretty hard. I have, but so, you know, you wonder, don't you? Is that uh, us talking about the, the minutiae of exactly how to load a tendon or how much we should use our hands for manual therapy is, uh, is an exercise that's only good if there's a industry in which we can deliver that care. You know, that's the thing that I feel guilty about and why I think I wonder if I should have done more in this space is if it all falls to the ground, then the time that we've spent on the detail of certain conditions or pathologies or styles of practice, etc., will have been more redundant when on a policy level, I was always knowing that this was the, the fight of our time. And so that's the thing that I feel guilty about is that maybe it was a misprioritizing for me and team to have spread our bets in many ways and talked about whatever we find topical and interesting, et cetera. When this, I think is a really key area that we need to sort out. Thank you to Laura for another comment here that won't show all on screen. Let me try and get the gist of it. She's saying that as a pain specialist, she'd fit more into therapeutic category rather than diagnostic. No way that she could keep the level of detail at an advanced level to keep it all at once. That is a really fantastic point, and and I think that it's a bit of a bit of a uh, hidden hidden gem there. I think from Laura is that you've got a number of ways in which people don't accept how spread thin someone must be in terms of skill set. They would be such a generalist because they're never going to be able to keep up with best practice for every single body part, and uh, and that's what's fascinating is that you kind of. Uh, yeah, you, you, you're not going to be able to be as, as focused. And, and therefore, if, if everyone was doing that, if everyone's being the overseer, overviewer, that sort of thing, and triaging, uh, it, or even if they're going into, into pain roles and only seeing persistent pain, and then someone comes in with complex ankle sprain of which something's occurred, um, which needs some real specific rehab, then who's there? Who's going to do that? Who's going to make the sausage, as I, as I talked about earlier? So we're out of time because um, I've, I've waffled on there. Hopefully I've pulled a, a fair few of your comments up there. Sorry if I missed anyone. Thank you so much. Do keep your comments coming. Of course, they uh, it doesn't close, so you can make those after the fact if you're reaching this not live. Also, it's available on podcasts podcast players um, got a great show planned for you tomorrow and all being well i've got some exciting final announcements for some of the superstar athletes that are going to be joining us at therapy live sport if you haven't got your ticket for that then do so quickly because yes certainly it's going to sell out within days if not certainly next week and so uh yeah we're quite excited we held back a thousand tickets and so it's the final countdown for those to go but yeah we've got i think let's say seven Olympic gold medals and two world triathlon series wins uh, amongst the athletes that, um, that are joining us across panels. Put it this way, we're into co-creation between therapists, coaches, and patients. And the patients within a sporting environment are often athletes. And so we've got athletes across the program. It makes sense. We want their experience to come forward and for them to give a take as to how they're managed and treated and how they can aspire to be their best and get better once they're injured. So we've got a massive amount of high-profile athletes uh, of various different stripes and flavors uh, littered across the uh, Therapy Live Sport program. So incredibly excited. And on Saturday, yeah, it's the two-week klaxon for that and everything's getting polished and preened. And yeah, you're going you're gonna to be in for a treat. So get your tickets for that as well. But also I'll join you yeah, please do join us tomorrow if you're interested in that advanced practice rehab side loads of really interactive features we're going to be using the therapy live platform for that um, and therefore you're going to be able to you know comments questions voting on other people's questions and stuff uh, and some exciting birthday announcements for MSKR as we celebrate our first birthday which has certainly been a very interesting year let's say so thank you so much for joining today really appreciate you all and uh yeah hopefully as ever the outro works and i can uh, love you and leave you they're up.